Hello, Kentucky. Welcome to Kernels of Truth, brought to you by us, Progress Kentucky. We've got a wonderful episode for you tonight. And after we check in with tonight's co-host, singular, we'll do our political news roundup in which we do a little throwback Wednesday. Is that really a thing? And uh, see how former Governor Bat Bevin is doing vis-a-vis criminal investigations. Uh, we'll check into Thomas Massey's never-ending ability to do the wrong thing for public health, uh, follow up on the no-knock ban in Lexington, take a deep dive into gun violence that is surging across the state and in Louisville, uh, especially with our special guest, Christopher 2X, who's going to be joining us to talk about his nonprofit, Game Changers, an organization that promotes early childhood education, parental involvement, mentoring, community involvement to positive, positively, I can do this, transform the lives of children and young people, end violence long term, and make Louisville area communities safer. And as we uh, before we get into all that, it's time for you, 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 you out there to help turn Kentucky purple. Yes. Why, Nate, what can I do to, to help turn Kentucky purple? I'm so glad you asked. Join us. Join Progress Kentucky. As you may have heard us say before, we are very, very close to 4K likes, 4,000 likes on Facebook. So please go check us out there and invite some friends to like us. Of course, that's not the only thing. Uh, we know that our Commonwealth needs more kernels of truth to call out the propaganda and ridiculous claims of folks like Mitch, Rand, Massey and Barr. We are hatching a plan to reach out to our neighbors and mobilize folks around the state to join us and take action. But it's gonna take, you know who, it's gonna take you to, uh, Take uh, to join us and take some action. It's going to take you to uh, give us or share some of your precious resources so we can print up postcards and and ha handwritten messages. And uh, together, we all will spread the word about how we all can turn Kentucky purple. We've got this goal: raising fifteen hundred dollars for the project. We are less than twenty percent of the way there. So please consider making a donation right now. Go hit us up on Act Blue. Make a donation to support this campaign. Here's the URL. It's secure.actblue.com. Not done yet. Forward slash donate. Forward slash progress KY. And we're always looking for more volunteers. Are you interested in helping put together a bi-weekly newsletter? Can you stalk, I mean, keep tabs on your own representative in social media and share it with us when they embrace Q or the big lie, or they just show their rear end, as Kentuckians are, are want to say. If you can screenshot it and then share it with us, help us find the next worst politico of the moment and help hold these folks accountable, do it by heading to this URL, bit.ly bit.ly forward slash join P-R-O-K-Y, I'll spell that out again, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash J-O-I-N join P-R-O-Pro-K-Y, us, Kentucky. So, introductions, uh, as is our want, we are going to introduce ourselves and share our protest sign that we're uh, sort of symbolically hoisting today. And you there on the internet, you are not off the hook, as Aaron is fond of saying. Uh, let us read what you are watching and what your sign says. Put it in the chat and here on Facebook or 
wherever we are chatting <laughs> while we're sharing ours. We'd love to know what your sign says today. So I will start out. I am not Aaron Viles. I'm Nate Orshan, uh, joining you from Kit and Mai's home here in South Frankfurt. And tonight, uh, my sign was going to say, hey, Mitch, let the nourishing light of life into your heart and support the For the People Act. Who do we have next? Kimberly? Well, I guess it's me next, Mr. Nate. How are you doing today? I'm Kimberly Cecil Jones, and I am joining you from Louisville, Kentucky Live, home of the Kentucky Derby, and Brianna Taylor, in a midst of other things, but that'd be a whole other show about Louisville, Kentucky. But my protest sign says today, um, that I'm glad Nate didn't have a big sign this week showing me up. No, my sign says today, let the kids live. Congress, do something. State representatives, do something. Let the kids live. Let the kids live. Um, boy, and it fits nicely uh, on a small sign too. Love it. And of course, we are joined as always by our super producer extraordinaire, Mr. Ken Cravens. Ken, what's your sign say today? Nice. You're always, always outing me. <laughs> there, there, there's no. Uh, I my sign is short. I don't. I don't have a lot today. I just uh, have uh, a little sign that I, I took from a piece of paper that you know, and I'm I'm recycling, uh, so. It's it's a it's a cool little piece of paper that that I've got, um, and it's for Barr, Andy Barr, and and Rand Paul and Thomas Massey, that the, the whole gang, uh, really the whole Rogues Gallery of 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 lovely uh, Kentucky uh, Republican uh, senators and and state senators and and congressmen and, and a lot, and it's very simple, and and I believe it strongly that this would be effective if they just stop the lies and I drew a little stop sign, kind of. It's it's a very touching stop sign and a very, it's like an- Why does Ken try to show us up, Nate? Why does Ken try to show it's us not up? Show, it's not, look, it's just a, it's, it's, I just Sharpie on a piece of paper. Just you have to own it. <laughs> own it, Ken. You, you showed us up and now you have to live with that shame the rest of your life shame well, i make all shame. the other signs too <laughs> it's what i do it's what i do with my spare time which i don't have yeah well let's see i have 11 after 7 7 11 which means it's time for news of the week news of the week i should do songs for all these things i should just do them a cappella. there it is news of the week don't sue me paul mccartney all right so Here's our first story coming at you. Are you ready? I don't think you're ready. Okay, you're ready. Matt Bevan is in trouble. So this story is about the possibility of quid pro quo and the reality of money in politics. Uh, here we're gonna be talking about reporting by Andrew Wolfson, who's a journalist for the Louisville Courier Journal. On June 29th, Wolfson wrote that both the FBI and federal prosecutors are looking into former governor Matt Bevin's end of term pardon for a man, Patrick Baker, who had been convicted by Kentucky for the death of Donald Mills 
during a break-in of Mills's Knox County home back in uh, 2014. Actually, the full slate of Baker's convictions included reckless homicide, robbery, tampering with evidence, and impersonating a peace officer. And when I first read that, I had to do a little double take. That was not a typo for police officer. That's actually the language from Kentucky statute 519.055 that I just happened to know off the top of my head and didn't have to Google in the slightest. Uh, Baker had already served two years out of his 19 year sentence when he received this pardon from uh, Governor Bevan and a commutation of his sentence. So what is the big deal? Uh, as has been reported in Kentucky press, the year before Baker received his pardon, so that would be 2018, Baker's brother and sister-in-law did two big things to help Governor Bevan. Number one, they held a fundraiser for Bevan's campaign debt at their home, during which they raised nearly $22,000 for him. Not quite, but almost. And two, they personally donated $4,000 to him out of their own pockets at that same fundraiser. So doing the math, Patrick uh, Baker had been convicted in 2017 the very next year, his brother and sister-in-law held that impressive fundraiser. And then the year after that, having just been beaten by Andy Bashir, thank you, God, in 2019, outgoing Governor Bevan granted the pardon and sentenced commutation to Baker. It seems a little fishy, right? I mean, it's one thing if you're going to pardon somebody because they're like a friend of a friend or a righteous person or even say, fully rehabilitated or wrongfully convicted in the first place. But to have a dude's close family raise over $20,000, that looks like some serious, serious uh, quid pro quo there. And when Bevan tried to say stuff like the evidence against Patrick Baker was, quote, sketchy at best, unquote, the Kentucky Court of Appeals was all like, nope, this evidence is overwhelming, overwhelming. So to circle back to the most recent news, yeah, two weeks ago, in the middle of a detention hearing for the pardon, Mr. Baker, uh, both an FBI task force officer and a federal prosecutor said that their offices are conducting an active investigation of the fundraiser that Baker's family held in 2018. And the, uh, the federal, the potential laws, what are these potential laws uh, that Governor Bevan may have run afoul of? Uh, well, Former federal prosecutors told uh, Mr. Wolfson of the Courier Journal that, uh, uh, as they reported last, I'm, I'm reading my own writing and that doesn't make any sense. Uh, as reported in the Courier Journal last Thursday, July 1st, uh, the federal prosecutors apparently told Wolfson that it could, they violated a law about federal bribery and or the Hobbs Act quote, which makes it illegal to interfere with interstate commerce, unquote. All right, that one feels a little, to borrow Bevan's word, sketchy, but still laws potentially violated. And some more attorneys that Wolfson contacted said that, quote, Bevan could also face prosecution for mail or wire, wire fraud for denying the public honest services. So, I mean, a bribery statute, an interstate commerce statute, a mail and or wire fraud statute. The sky's the limit for bringing up charges against Governor Bevan, ex-Governor Bevan. All right, all right, so I should check myself. It's most likely not gonna happen because there'd have to be some really extraordinary evidence like voicemail or a text or an email, or I guess someone squealing on Bevan going really old school. 
And the odds, my friends, are unfortunately very high that none of that exists or will exist. But we can still dream, my friends. We can dream. And look, I, I'm not against pardons, especially if they're done to truly address an injustice that led to a conviction and incarceration. Uh, clearly, Donald Trump pardoning Christopher Truex was a good thing. I hope I'm not giving away a secret here, but you know, this is public knowledge. And I hope that uh, Mr. Baker has become a more thoughtful and grounded person, but come on. When the governor's campaign is getting money from a convicted person's family member, I mean, it's beyond the pale. What do you think, my friends? It's an intense story. I mean, Bevan's back. Is, is, that, is, that, is that like the new catch line for the day? Bevan's back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I, I think his record is clear. Bevan's record is super clear. Uh, because, I mean, let's just face it, like, his house, how did he get his house? Did, he paid, like, half of what I paid for my house, and it my house is tiny. You know, his, his dealings with Rusal, the Russian aluminum company, uh, uh, aluminum mill uh, that didn't ever really take, it didn't ever get started. It was just a big cash uh, boon for yeah. somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, Chinese-owned Phoenix paper uh, was uh, another tax break kickback that Bevin was involved with. The Ark Encounter, uh, where, where they tried to go from a public company to a private company to a public company. Like they sold to themselves low for high. And then they, you know, so it's bought and sold and bought and sold. And it was a scandal. I don't know if you remember the Ark Encounter. I, I try not to. I've not been. But he... He absolutely didn't get the teacher's vote, uh, Bevin. Uh, he didn't, um, he hated the ACA, which kind of peeved me a little bit, but he, he had Trump's support. And I guess with all of these scandals, uh, Trump won Kentucky by 12, 13%, and Bevin still lost a year earlier. And so it's, it. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, I couldn't tell you, uh, but he clearly had an agenda based on money and, and, you know, people, people believed, uh, that he was a con man. I believe he's a con man. I mean, so this is not this, maybe this is just the first investigation of many to come. Maybe it's not, I don't know. If I was Matt Bevan, I, I might, I might move to a different state. <laughs> that doesn't have ex extradition laws because uh, he, he was in a lot of dealings and uh, you know yeah. to me like his motto is money talks no matter what the cost is it doesn't matter who uh who, who he's dealing with um kimberly do you have thoughts on this of course you would ask me now. <laughs> i i don't I don't have to ask of you. Of course, you would ask me now. <laughs> <laughs> I got I think we're having some technically uh, interesting times. Well, yeah. <laughs> gotta, Suffice it to yeah. say, you are not a fan of of Mr. Bevan. No, absolutely not. Go ahead, Kimberly. Um, not at all. I'm not a, a fan of his whatsoever. 
Uh, I believe that Matt Bevins is getting what Matt Bevins has deserved for many, many years. And all of the actual pardons that he did, some of them just didn't make logical sense. Do you hear an echo, Nate? This is live live casting, folks. These things happen. <laughs> We're a scrappy band of volunteers here. I can make an echo too. There's an echo in here. There's an echo. echo oh, I hear the echo too, too. <laughs> it's so much fun. It's just what all the cool kids are doing this year, doing this year, doing this year, doing this year. Absolutely. <laughs> Kimberly, oh, you're muted. You're muted, my friend. Now no, she... I can fix it. <laughs> hey, remember that show where they just had technical issues the whole hour and they never really talked about anything? Oh, that was a good one. Okay, yeah. I'm here. I'm here. I'm you here. Do you see me now? No, you gotta turn on your video. I see your yeah. avatar. You see me now? Now we see you. Now, now we see you. Okay, can you hear me now? And you, you and we heard. heard. Okay. We want to know what your thoughts on on Bevinar. Bevan, right. You know, that was the ghost of Bevan past trying to mess with my computer. So <laughs> I just feel like Bevan is getting exactly what he deserves all of this time. Okay. Um, the pardons that he did, who can make sense of those? Uh, who can really know exactly the mind of a diabolical individual such as Matt Bevan? And I'm so glad, and I have to just say it, you know, I get bragging rights right now, that the reason why we have Governor Andy Bashir is because of Jefferson County, okay? Jefferson County came through and threw Matt Bevan away in the trash where he belongs. And these pardons that he made, some of them, not each and every last one, what was the rhyme or the reason for a lot of these? Uh, it, it makes no sense to anyone. You know, people that were convicted of doing the most heinous things known to mankind he was letting them off the hook. And just like what you were talking about, Nate, as well. And I just I just would like to know what's gonna happen to him now. Well, hope, hopefully there's a, uh, oh, no, I'm echoing hither and yon. Hopefully there's a, an email or a text or some little piece of evidence that he wasn't able to squash. And, you know, and then it'll be clear that, uh, the brother, the brother of the donator um, got to uh, not stay in jail much later. Um, thank you for coming to my special poetry show. Uh, so, hey, uh, we got more stories, more stories. Let's move on and take a look at Thomas Massey, Thomas Massey. Okay, so first of all, tweet alert, tweet alert. You know, uh, those stories that are like, can you believe that such and such a public figure said the following outrageous thing on Twitter? Yeah, so this is one of those, but it's got teeth, my friends. It's got teeth. So who's the Kentucky public figure this time? I already gave it away. None other than your and my least favorite congressperson. And that's saying a lot because my congressperson is Andy Limp Trumping Barr, not his real name. 
representing the fourth district up in Northern Kentucky, Thomas Massey. Yes, our dear dense friend from the North Kentucky, quote, sparked new controversy with his tweet that members of the US military had contacted him saying they would quote, quit, unquote, if forced to receive a COVID-19 vaccine, unquote. That story comes BT-dubs from the Herald-Leader's Rayleigh Deaton, published just yesterday, July 6th. And just to back up a second, this is coming on the heels of an Army Times uh, report, report from uh, Davis Winky last Friday, July 2nd, that, quote, the Army has directed commands to prepare the and to prepare to administer mandatory COVID-19 vaccines as early as September 1. And Congressman Massey was all like, whoa, like what took them so long? Righteous, dude. No, psych. That is not what Mr. Massey said. Uh, if we can get the tweet up on the screen, Ken, if, you, if you've already played it, maybe bring it back again, you'll see that it says, quote, I've been contacted by members of our voluntary military who say they will quit if the COVID vaccine is mandated. I introduced HR 3860 to prohibit any mandatory requirement that a member of the armed forces received a vaccination against COVID-19. It now has 24 sponsors. Huh, what well, sounds like it could be true, right? I mean, you know the military, unfortunately, it does have some Trump-loving science-skeptical troops in there, so maybe? <clears throat> well, I would ask you as a re uh, retort to that, to listen to the topmost uh, uh, comment on the same tweet thread. This one's coming from a Twitter user named at sign Mama Bear 1930. They wrote, number one, service members are fully vaccinated at all times, Number two, they can't quit. Face it, you're lying. No service members contacted you because they know they can't quit. And if their superior officer tells them to get vaccinated, they've raised their sleeve. And indeed, my friends, we just did a little Googling and we came across a blog post from the law office of Matthew Berry, who says he's a, quote, skilled military lawyer who, quote, represents service members at all bases worldwide, unquote. And he has an office near, wait for it, Fort Campbell right here, smack dab in the bluegrass. Okay, technically right on the border with Tennessee, but still. Anyway, here is what Mr. Barry had to say in this presciently titled blog post that he put out all over a year ago, April 13th, 2020. It's called Forced Vaccinations in the Army. And he writes, at some point in the future, there will be a vaccination for COVID-19. Inevitably, soldiers will wonder if they can refuse the vaccine. The answer is generally that they cannot. Forced vaccinations in the army can occur. The governing regulation on forced vaccinations in the army is AR 600-20 paragraph 5-4. If a soldier denies a vaccination, that soldier's commander must ensure that the soldier understands the purpose of the vaccine, ensure that the soldier has been advised of the possibility that the disease may be naturally present in a possible area of operation and ensure that the soldier is educated about the vaccine and has been able to discuss any objections with medical authorities. And after the commander does all of the above, what then? He or she has to counsel the soldier in writing uh, that he or she is legally required to be immunized and that if the soldier continues to refuse the vaccine, he or she will be legally ordered to do so, repeat, ordered to do so, and that failure to obey will be punished under the UCMJ, which I believe stands for a Uniform uh, Code of Military Justice. So the moral of this story is 
Congressman Massey is misinformed or just, you know, lying. And he would rather try to score this pathetic point with his pro-military constituents than lift a single finger to help the public in the midst of a still raging pandemic that is killing Americans at a rate of 200 a day. That's the story. What do you think, Kimberly? Um, since I do have a daughter in the military uh, in the United States Air Force, she's an officer, as you guys probably know, and it is, um, you know, a choice that you can make right now to get the vaccine. And uh, she decided what they had available. You have to use what they have available. You don't get to say, I want J&J. Pfizer, Moderna, whatever. Um, they gave them the one and done, Johnson and Johnson, and uh, she has had no repercussions from that. She said that those that had the, took the vaccination on that day, the Johnson and Johnson, that actually they felt a little bit more energetic. And it is true on several different deployments and things of this nature that my daughter has done. She is currently deployed. Um, that you know there is no choice, and why would you even want a choice? They tell you all of this up front. The recruiters do. You sign documents. You sign paperwork on this, and anything that comes out of Thomas Massey's mouth is going to be asinine. I mean, come on. Was that even worth a write-up in the paper about him and his, you know? thought process, which no one can actually understand. And I'm still trying to figure out, is he even of use in the United States uh, House? So, you know, anything coming out of Thomas Massey's mouth, and he always seems to want to jump on board to things that are just not important at this particular time. Military folk, I grew up military, uh, married to the military, daughter in the military. I know military. I might as well have been in the military. Was going to go in the military, but they found out I was pregnant. I was going to go in the Navy, you guys, in public no affairs. However, I will say this. No one that I've ever known, okay, has had a problem getting their vaccinations to the you know, various destinations that they have to go. So, you know, we could just cut it out right now. It's This is a Thomas Massey thing. Uh, he's not very uh, reliable or verifiable, I should say, at this point. And um, that's really how I feel about it. The military, they know. They know. And no one is actually, you know, if they want to say, no, they don't want the vaccine right now, they have that choice. The military has not said, this is mandatory for you. But or should I say, however, because I do not want to negate what I just said. However, there are different programs in place of places that you cannot go. Uh, how you enter into a base is completely different during the pandemic. So I rest my case there. Thomas Bassey, who cares? <laughs> that's, that's, that's <laughs> who cares? It's Thomas Massey. He has this thing on his hybrid battery operated car around his license plate that says loves coal. So, you know, hey, something's yeah. Screw in the, you know, in the head. So I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> well, through the, the magic of modern technology, uh, I think we have a special guest waiting in the wings. And I wonder if this is a, 
a good time to uh well let me just make one one short comment if that's, uh -oh, if that's okay. Ken, oh Lord. just one 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 fast and then i think we should uh go to go to our guest for sure um it absolutely i i just wanted to respond to what kimberly said like why thomas massey like i i i also think why thomas massey all the time and it is about misinformation and division uh on on and hyperinflating anxiety and rage on, on uh, COVID um, in, in his mind, conspiracy. I mean, COVID's gonna continue because he's politicizing it. And, you know, the GOP is just quadrupling down. The, there are so many posts from him and, and Rand Paul and uh, Andy Barr, just about every day, post per post. Like, how much money are they spending on social media to try to to completely debunk something that has killed close more than half a million Americans? It's it's unbelievable. Uh, I might write a post like once or twice a week, but they're constantly like in this little misinformation game. So I think it's a political tactic. Uh, you know, plus he's pushing the big lie. So, I mean, that's, he also got COVID. He's an anti-maxer, vaxer, or anti-masker who got COVID. And he's like, I, I don't need the vaccine because I got COVID. Well, I mean, the CD says that you could catch it again. So it's just one more way to try to keep people who are not science people, <laughs> you know, uh, to, to keep America sick with COVID. I mean, reinfection based off of no evidence because he had uh, COVID once. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a thing. I think we should go into the last story because I feel like the little story is super important. So I'm going to yes. stop Yes, yes, yes. But we love you, Ken. You are family here on Kernels of Truth, where all of us are what, Nate? Kentucky colonels who tell the truth, right? And I love it. So uh, let me just lead into the third story about gun violence rages right here in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, as a resident of Louisville, Kentucky, uh, you know, I feel everyone feels it's gotten totally out of hand. We've had over a hundred homicides reported in the last six months. Um, and not to also include all of the gun violence that you know people were able to survive from it and then also want to make sure that i make note that 14 homicides in 14 days and that louisville gun violence shows no sign of stopping and as a resident here in jefferson county which is louisville kentucky it is just baffling it's heartbreaking, it's terrorizing, and it is a horrific scene here in Louisville. I remember a time living here that, you know, you could say, hey, did you hear about that murder, you know, that happened at the da-da-da-da-da-da? That was just horrible. I, I'm praying for the family. But now you talk to people and they're like, oh, I don't remember that. Like, we've had like 15 killings, murders since then. Would, would you? You know, that is not how we want to live. And also knowing 
that the CBS chart uh, that you see on the screen right now that shows you that Louisville is trending worse, not trending better, trending worse than LA, New York, Chicago, Atlanta, Houston, Dallas, and all the other numerous places in this United States of America. So I'd like to introduce our guest today, a great friend of mine. I remember years and years ago, I was doing a talk show on public, on public TV, and he was gracious enough to come in and do a sit-down interview with me. Um, Mr. Christopher 2X, I know that all of you all there in viewer land and on radio land have heard of this uh, legend, this great individual that's doing monumental work uh, in communities, uh, that he is setting the bar for everyone. Everyone needs to get involved in this. And, you know, it used to be certain areas of our city, and now it's in every area of our city, not just the more impoverished areas. It's even in what we call, you know, bougie land, you know, rich land. I mean, it's happening everywhere. So I'd like to introduce to you guys, my friend, your friend, uh, a so uh, not a soldier, he's an actual general in this army of trying to stop this violence. And it does start with the kids. So I wanna introduce, uh, pardoned by um, President Donald J. Trump and also uh, VP of the organization for Master P. I know you guys have heard of him as well. Mr. Christopher 2X, how are you doing my friend? You're on mute. You're on uh, mute. Yeah, you guys, like, I do the same thing all the time. I'm on mute all the time, I know. Okay, I'm unmuted now. Can you guys okay, hear me? Okay, great. Yes, yeah, well, yes. What I was doing, I, I was thanking you guys for the invite, number one. Appreciate you all's powerful conversations, but I do want to hit on what you asked me to come on here for. And specifically, that's the uptick and unfortunate uh, reckless shootings as it relates to not only impacting communities, but specifically how it impacts the most youngest citizens among us and how the secondary trauma is something that we need to pay attention to as it relates to especially kiddos that are in early childhood education spaces, especially from the ages four years in through K through eight. And what I mean by secondary trauma is some kids never get hit by a bullet. Some kids are not totally impacted by bullets in their family. But this public health crisis has, like you just described, Kim, has spread to areas of Jefferson County where it never did seep into at one point. And the kids are being impacted in horrific ways. It affects their focus and learning. And equally at the same time, when we think about natural disaster drills, as far as tornadoes and even unfortunate fires and other kinds of disasters that could occur, we think about those drills as a way to do kind of uh, safety uh, measures to put us, take us out of harm's way. Now kids are getting under beds. They're being told not to you know, be in front of windows because of stray bullets. And this problem is real. 
And at the end of the day, why should anybody in other spaces who might not feel the brunt of this care? Well, I would say we care about COVID. I would say that it's, it's, it's intelligent to constantly care about cancer and heart disease and all the other medical issues that could uh, affect a person's uh, life at some level. Cancer and heart disease, there's no pure cure for either one of those. So equally at the same time, violence does not have just a specific cure by somebody waving a magic wand and think we're gonna get out of this anytime soon as far as the uptick in numbers. However, my point is, and what I'm trying to make to you guys is that the children are suffering. So if there's one motivating factor that should rally all of us is the impact on the kids that I'm uh, describing from ages four into 13 years old. And that's where in Louisville, for sure, and I've been in this work for 20 years. To me, we are behind the eight ball because we didn't have the courage to intervene at the earliest spaces that we should have in describing this as a public health crisis. A shooter evolves at a young age. I don't want your audience to think that shooters all of a sudden get into high school and become 15, 16, 17, 18 years old and all of a sudden want to be shooters. There's something that happened early on in life, even in elementary school, into Sedgwain, into middle school, into the high school years, where you can clearly see the behavioral patterns. And for some reason, whether it's parents who don't totally know how to deal with the issue or feel embarrassed to deal with the issue, I don't want to seek help early on. They miss the ball. Community misses the ball when they see these symptoms and they think for some reason, oh, they'll grow out of this at some point. We don't treat cancer and heart disease like that. We're about prevention, we're about intervention early on as it relates to trying to get the information out about the problem. I believe that at the end of the day that us shying away from conversations with the earliest chance to have these conversations with the little bitty citizens that I'm describing, it's the right thing to do now. It's not about, well, violence is so ugly, why would you talk to children about that? No, we gotta talk to children about that. And especially in the areas of underserved communities, there's gotta be a better effort to deal with the problem head on because it evolves out of households and that's why it's out of control. I didn't come on here to tell you all that I know a fix all to the issue, because I don't. However, I've been around enough individuals within the healthcare community, trauma surgeons, nurses who I work very close with over UofL Health in Metro Louisville, that we clearly see this as a public health crisis. And so I would say to all who are on uh, this uh, Zoom tonight, clearly just give some reflective thoughts to how we give a lot of energy to the COVID crisis but some of us really feel hopeless when it comes to gun violence and specifically street gun violence, where we feel there's no hope, we don't know what to do, we don't wanna get involved in such an ugly deal. I totally understand that. However, I would say that there could be more efforts for, the, for those who care 
to do something if they're in the space of a young person where they know that they can just do something to help within community centers, other places of school settings, any connections with that to at least address the behavioral issues that are going astray in big numbers. And I would say to, to all of you all that everybody should care. I know again that when it's at the epicenter of mostly poor communities, it's hard for people in other spaces to really relate to that per se. But they should relate to it because like Kim said, it's spreading into the suburbs in ways that we wouldn't have imagined years ago, but it's starting to happen. And the brazenness of the shootings are so blatant and so right in your face. The mindset of the shooters is that I don't give a damn where we're at. We can be at a local mall. We can be in a restaurant. This gunplay to them is more or less a way of life. It's tragic, but at the end of the day, we cannot surrender to this because of the children that all of us, I believe, dearly care about. And they deserve for grownups to do the right thing, to try to stay in there and hang in there till we see some kind of way to describe to them, lastly for me, describe to them how this is detrimental to their life. It's just like any poison that they would be warned not to touch or be, a, you know, put their hands in and put it in their mouth or anything like that. Reckless gun violence has to be a description to the kids of something that they should not be attracted to, but the opposite, that it should not be something at the end of the day that they should want to attach themselves towards, but equally at the same time, they should look at it as a, it, like any other disease, it's a public health crisis, and we've got to safeguard ourselves from these issues. You know, um, Christopher 2X, uh, just the other day, I'm not going to say on the air in what area of town that I was driving along, um, but I was just driving along a, a heavy, uh, heavily trafficked area with stores and restaurants, you know, a very main street here in uh, Louisville. And uh, I was at a stoplight and someone was running after someone down the street, shooting off a gun. There were some people on the bus stop. They're ducking down. I'm ducking down. I never would have thought anything like that would be, you know, just happening. And it really woke me up. And it's traumatizing. And I'm a grown woman of, you know, 57 years old. And um, I can't even imagine as a kid having to live like this. But well, then, how, how? Well, again, Kim, we go back to the bottom line. And, and then just, I just want to give uh, your participants some quick numbers before I part. From January of 2020, I just want to give you guys these numbers, to now July the 7th of 2021, 18 months and seven days. We've experienced in Metro Louisville 277 fatal homicides. I want you all to think about a mid-sized city like that. 277 total. When we talk about just the wounded in this city, 
we're almost at close to the 900 mark of citizens being just wounded by gunfire and surviving. So each person that becomes a victim of these kind of reckless shootings, there's always the kids that are the collateral damage in this too. And it's not acceptable when we're in wars to want to see children hurt because of world wars or nations fighting against each other. We cannot be lackadaisical in the mind to think in America for some reason or another that, okay, this is a part of life. You know, basically it's an urban problem. The, you know, the, the majority of it. Okay. Yeah, it is. But if you're a good, willed individual or, or you have that goodwill spirit to want to see children live in safe and habitable environments to thrive. And even if they live in poor environments to thrive in a way that they can at least try to fulfill some kind of dream. We can't be silent about what's going on and looking at this damage where we've talked constantly about COVID-19 in the most free fall way without any hesitancy and act like for some reason this is okay to seeing black bodies just drop and drop and drop. I give you this, internally, the black family and black communities has got to do a better job to do their part to shift this energy into another direction. Externally though, individuals watching this they have to feel some kind of at least common connection to the sanctity of life of any human being that's suffering like this and let that reflect in their thoughts and their conversations. I see sometimes people mocking and saying, well, they just want to kill each other. It's more complex than that. And I would ask people, if you don't want to concentrate on the grown-ups who are inflicting this harm, or the young teenagers inflicting this harm, let's get motivated by the children who have nothing to do with this. They can't, they don't even pick up guns, but they're subjected to the hell of what's being inflicted upon them as it relates to bigger bodies around them. And that's all I would ask of your participants to understand one thing. If you all don't understand the gravity of the issue, have some empathy for it. Understand that COVID, yes, is a thousand pound gorilla in our space. But equally at the same time, we cannot watch what's happening in America right now, where it's even got the president of the United States having press conferences about it. And throughout the 4th of July weekend nationwide, 150 individuals died by reckless gun, gunfire in neighborhoods. Over 400 got wounded in a three-day time frame. The gravity of problem is serious as it gets, even though the rest of the, of, of the state of Kentucky, excuse me, and almost uh, nearly 119 other counties, they don't suffer from the same thing Louisville suffers from, but they should at least want to be concerned and want to give the best prayers they can for a better day for the kids in the spaces of Jefferson County. Exactly. Um, I know that there might, and I know that you're really on a time schedule because you work with so many families that are victims of this, um, these heinous crimes that are going on. 
here in Jefferson County. Uh, but I know that uh, Nate and Ken had a question for you. A absolutely, Kim. I, I, I'm ready to take the questions. Thank you. Uh, this is Nate at Christopher 2X. I'm, I'm so delighted that you were able to join us today. And it's an honor. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Um, so we're talking a lot about uh, uh, the effect of gun violence on children. And it made me think, well, gosh, how old was he when he first in, encountered gun violence? How do you recall how old you were when you first sort of came into your consciousness about guns and the and their after effects? You know, unfortunately, that's an excellent question. Unfortunately, of course, I was born decades ago. <laughs> However, the problem was not at the magnitude it is now uh, as it relates to how it evolved over time. But I, I clearly remember at an early age of around nine years old, 10 years old, the concern and fear of gun violence at that age just by what was going on again in urban communities. And it's nothing uh, compared to the level of what's going on now, because uh, like Kim, you know, described earlier in, in the intro, these things are almost like the little war zones now. And it's okay for individuals who don't live in these spaces to just, you know, look from their spaces and say, how do we deal with this? It's very complex. I'm not going to imagine that it's not. But I believe at the end of the day, uh, we cannot give hope to children who just want to feel some normalcy in life, regardless of their social economic status. And that's why I ask for you all to really be respectful and understand that regardless of what goes on on media accounts about this situation and what people have the free right to do in regards to responding on social media posts and giving their opinions. At the end of the day, remember what I said, if you don't remember anything else tonight, children are the collateral damage of this, just like they are in world wars and when nations fight each other. And so, yes, children, just like they can pick up a cell phone and navigate through that now at the age of two and three years old, they absorb this negativity like a sponge. And I've had elementary school principals tell me that Chris, we're concerned that we're losing kids before they even start kindergarten years. And that's sad, it breaks my heart, but whatever energy that I can keep moving with, I'll use every fiber in my being to be an advocate for the kids who are impacted by this issue. And that's just a pledge for me to the kids that I will not surrender my voice in any kind of way as it relates to them deserving to be in spaces that are safe and uh, habitable to thriving. Simple as that. I know Ken had a question for you. Absolutely. Um, I, I, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to meet you. I, I think that you. uh, what you're doing is incredible for your community. Uh, here in Lexington, we don't have nearly the gun violence issue. We do have issues with gun violence. I, I think the stats that we have are like half of the kids here in Lexington, or half of the people murdered here in Lexington are children who are creating a world of violence who, who aren't necessarily from super violent 
uh, regions. And it seems like this uh, educating early, like they're manifesting uh, and, you know, they're manifesting a uh, condition that they don't necessarily have. Uh, what what do you think is one of the most effective ways and kind of curbing this to stop the, the cycle before it starts? Is it, I mean, clearly the education. Right. Uh, or most effective. The education part does not stop the bleed issue. Let, let's be clear about that. However, the most effective way that I truly believe that we have a chance is the early intervention at the earliest phases possible in regards to the secondary trauma that I just described. And the secondary trauma I described is kind of A and B categories. The A category is a bullet doesn't hit a kid but came in the house. That's A secondary trauma. The B secondary trauma is described as hearing gunfire going off at nighttime, kids feeling that, getting under beds, getting out of windows, or they're constantly bombarded with the media reports or the conversations around violence and everything that that entails that can form something in their brain to let them know life is not that secure as they would want it to be. I believe truly to answer your question, we educate in the earliest spaces possible is at least the hope over time that can get us to better spaces. That dinosaur model of deal with this thing when they get in the high school years is just what I'm describing it to be. That is a dinosaur model. People at one point used to wonder, how can you talk to kids at such very young ages about violence issues? Well, we better be. Because remember what I just told you guys about how these kids can pick up a cell phone and navigate through that cell phone at ages two and three years old now? Well, guess what? They're ready for conversations about what's not good in life. And uh, one thing that's not good in life is the reckless gunplay that's affecting them. So we might as well have strong conversations with them about it and how it's detrimental to their well-being as far as their growth. Exactly. Um, Christopher 2X, can you tell people how to uh, get in touch with your organization and if they would like to donate to your organization? It takes a lot to uh, have this multitude of an organization to help the children. And also we would need a whole new, an, another time for you to come on the show to explain about some of the things that you're also doing with adults as well, because we do want to get to them pre, you know, getting a getting an illegal gun or whatever and start shooting up somebody, right? But also dealing with the here and now, what can we do here and now with what we got going on here Thanks in Jackson County? Yeah. Thanks for that, Kim. So if anybody wants to learn more about us, they can go to 2X Game Changers with the S.org. That's our website. If you do go to that website, I would ask that you hit on our program button. I would ask that you go to our menu and hit on our educate section, which Anybody who accessed that website can look at our violence impact on children learning report. 
that we commissioned in November of 2019 and got entered into the U.S. congressional record in 2020 because of the study and the testimonies connected to that study about our youngest citizens trying to refocus and learn because of the gunplay around them. And I'm talking about the littlest ones among us. And with that said, also, you also, on the program section, you can read a little bit about our Future Healers program. I'll Google up Christopher 2X or L Health and Future Healers. This is where I came up with, uh, with, a, with a collaboration with University of Louisville medical students. We thought that since there's so much of a hurt conversation out here, why don't we counter that with a healing conversation by bringing underserved children into the hospital setting to be a part of a process to work with trauma surgeons, medical students and staff and organization, Christopher 2X Game Changers, to at least put a different image and conversation and inspire them to at least be a part of thinking about being a healthcare helper at some point. And if they even don't want that as a career, they can feel that they did a good deed done by being a part of a healing cause. And one thing, lastly, Kim, what we did this really gave a lot of energy to future healers. I just had an idea to uh, put some ump to it. We needed a powerful image. So my own grandchildren, and you all can read my own grandchildren's story in the Violence Impact on Children Learning Report when I give my intro into that and how they were put in harm's way where they almost got hit with AK-47 rounds were not targets of the shooting, but a person was coming past the back of the townhouse they lived in and sprayed up three townhouses shooting at their target. And their mother who works in early childhood education had them looking at a uh, educational piece on, on the TV monitor when this occurred at three o'clock in the day on in December of 2018, December, December one to be exact. So people were asking me all that weekend, like this is personally hit you, what is your response? You know, media and all that. And that's when I talked to some individuals and then I made a response three days later and it was that. I wanted to create a report that would give a conversation to violence and impact on children learning based on my own grandchildren and other experiences before that with children. So with that said, the future healers angle is something that I think is a good read for your audience and anybody else to see how my collaboration with UofL Health out of the 20 years I've been out here publicly, 15 has been with UofL and working closely with surgeons and staff and how future healers is just something different that we don't see little black kids in spaces in. We see them, and I'll wrap up on this, we see them in great spaces in education and entertainment spaces, sports and all that. But what I did was put my grandchildren in scrubs with stethoscopes around their neck and put them in a surgical room. And we put that image out there and it's like everybody that witnessed it is just like jaw, jaw, jaw dropping in the sense that it's like that gives us hope because we've never seen little black kids in that space as far as that image in the medical arena. So we're growing that deal. Our, fu uh, our future serialist orientation launch is coming up on 
Saturday, July the 24th at U of L Health. And we've got 22 ambassadors that will launch this program. And then we have a pilot project here in Metro Louisville at the Chestnut Street YMCA before and back to school and child development center. Cause I told you all about child development uh, center, well, development center spaces where we have to get to these kids early on too. And that will entail about 60 kids in the pilot project. But uh, we're very hopeful with that. And I would say this, anybody that likes what they read, they definitely can try to help in some kind of way if, the, if it's contributions. If it's just wanting to get a hold of us to learn more about these issues, we'd be willing to talk to you guys anytime in any capacity. But stay on the lookout for Future Healers. I think it's a great model. And I'll wrap up with this, Kim. Myself and two surgeons from UofL will be going to Washington, D.C. in September to the U.S. Senate to talk about our Future Healers program model here in Louisville. And so that should be interesting and uh, taking the surgeons with me is, is really a, a good feeling in the way that we'll articulate how our fight is from within in the hospital corridors, not only as they treat the issue, but how we're trying to get proactive on the front end with kids in these spaces to work closely with doctors and medical students in our organization. Christopher 2X, you are just wonderful, amazing, and fabulous. And I told you that I wanted to get involved as well because uh, we the children you. are our future. And my uh, protest sign said, we didn't ask you for one today uh, because your protest sign is evidently clear, like a neon flashing sign that it is what I said earlier, let the kids live, point blank, period. Let the kids live. Thank you well, so I, much. I, I, I thank you all for the time. And I won't be a stranger and salute all the colonels on there. <laughs> <laughs> Salam alaikum. I'll well, be getting with you. Salam, brother. <laughs> I'll Thanks be getting with guys. you. Peace bye. out. Take care, okay? We sure will. Thank right, you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Um, that was so great. Back to you, Nate. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. 2X is a hard act to follow, but uh, we do have something we want to let you all know about. Action events, action events, action events calendar. So Let's Do This is a campaign to get the city of Lexington and the surrounding communities vaccinated. If you would like to join other community members for a neighborhood canvas in the Kirk Levington Park area to help educate folks about mobile pop-up vaccination clinics how, how easy would that be to go to? Mobile pop-up vaccination clinics available in Lexington. The event is coming up this Saturday, July 10th at 10 a.m. That place again is Kirk Levington Park in Lexington. And you can find more information about it at bit.ly forward slash Lex beat COVID. So that's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash L-E-X-B-E-A-T-C-O-V-I-D. Lex beat COVID. Um, and, and, and there's also, you can go to lexdothis.nationbuilder.com. And Kimberly, bring us home, bring us home. Yes, sir. I know that I've been doing this all night. For real? <laughs> okay, well, uh, uh, we have a special request, sorry. Um, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, Nate. 
Ken got us out here looking crazy. I am. He's talking I, I apologize. to us, ladies we, and gentlemen. We, he's talking we are, to us. We've got to, we've got to run him. at least. We got to run at least an hour. Uh, so I would we like to do this last story, if that's if that's okay anything. with you guys. You just, you just, yes, wanna, sir. You just want to opinion sir. I can. <laughs> I'm not right, trying folks. to get you. I'm not trying to get in trouble. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I think it's an important story where we've been following it for a minute. It is. It is like totally important. So it is. It's it's true. Um, yeah. Yes. The, the the Massey story was probably a little bit sketchy, but this one. <laughs> All right. So I'll I'll just uh, Massey's uh, always sketchy. <laughs> sketchy <laughs> it's like, do people really need to know about what a jerk uh, massey is um so this one comes to us from uh uh the herald leader lexington herald leader it was posted on july 1st written by jeremy Chrisenhall, and the headline reads lexington police union suing the city in attempt to stop the ban on no-knock warrants say what Yes, ever, ever since uh, the City Council of Lexington uh, successfully banned, uh, or I guess passed an ordinance to ban no-knock warrants, which uh, people like us think is really good, uh, the Fraternal Order of uh, Police, uh, yes, Bluegrass Lodge number seven, they up and sued <laughs> the city government and Mayor Gordon and all 15 city council members. And remember, even a few of those those folks voted you know, against it. So it's like, ha ha, you're still getting sued. Um, that suit was uh, announced last Wednesday. And I guess I guess uh, I don't know what to say about this. I guess that their their point, such as it is, is that uh, if no knock warrants are no longer allowed, that will make the job of police a little less safe because by, I guess, knocking on someone's door that they have a warrant to bust in on, it gives them time to sort of grab and load and, you know, and gunfire ensues. Mind you, the no-knock warrant was not enough to prevent Kenneth uh, Walker, I believe, uh, from shooting uh, one of the no-knock uh, police officers who busted into Breonna Taylor's uh, apartment uh, over a year ago. So, uh, you know, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense in terms of like the safety people. This is Kentucky, as we've heard, a lot of people are armed uh, and have them either concealed or at their bedside table or whatnot. So uh, it's really not clear that a no-knock warrant would really make the cops that safe. But be that as it may, that is their argument. And, and, um, and that's where we are with a police union suing everyone in city government pretty much in Lexington. Uh, so they can get their precious no-knock warrant back. And I'm sure you all have some thoughts about this. So whoever wants to step up, please do. Well, I know here in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, it did pass our council. We do have a no-knock warrant here in Louisville. And with the just of Breonna Taylor happening right here in Louisville and all of these things going on, I know for certain, as far as the no-knock warrants are concerned, that most of the time, uh, police officers, they don't use no-knock warrants that much for like drug raids, okay? They use like no-knock warrants when they're trying to get a pedophile and, you know, to kind of do the element of surprise so that they won't go and try to flush stuff and destroy stuff before they come. Uh, so I think it's only fitting that Fayette County being the second largest county in this state, 
would go head on and just ban no knock warrants. They're really, they really can get very messy and, and it's dangerous for officers as well as those that are inside of whatever um, place that they're inside is what I think about it, Nate. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think, I think uh, it, to me, it's institutional racism. And I, I've got just a tiny, a teeny tiny little rant where I, I feel like, uh, you know, the Lexington community pretty much unanimously got the people who showed up to the event that happened, uh, the city council meeting uh, last week, unanimously had a rage towards the the no knock warrants which are clearly uh very racially biased uh and and it's i i went to a um i went to a a, a council meeting a judge executive meeting earlier this week and and i found it really interesting that the judge accused like Andy Bashir of being lazy and 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 said his staff were useless and they were throwing around uh, there were some weird propaganda memes that some of the committee members uh, were kind of passing around as far as I could tell with right wing prop propaganda uh, things like the thin blue line make America great uh, or America first which is uh, the American First Party was was a party in the 1940s that um, was the Nazi party <laughs> in the 1940s, uh, including wondering. how how uh, Paul accused Booker Charles Booker of being a racial candidate in an email earlier this week, as well as um, the attacks on. Um, uh, critical race theory whatever you believe or however you feel about critical race theory and i think our guest tonight i we didn't ask him about it but i do think that he wants to educate his community about what's going on i mean the police institutions of the south were formed entirely uh as you know to patrol slaves or night watches or you know so so our, our uh, own state police had Nazi propaganda written into uh, its training manual. So, like, this is institutional racism, uh, the no-knock warrants. And, and, and what the police, uh, what the FOP is doing is just trying to double or triple or quadruple down on on institutional racism racism so they to me they're just not covering it up anymore uh where maybe at one point in time they were they were trying to cover it up but i feel like uh in this modern day and age with uh photography and everything being the way it is it's it's much more clear um and and i feel like it's time for you know I just, it's its something that it gets me every, I, I have anxiety about this. Uh, Nate, Kimberly, <laughs> that's what I get. I have anxiety all the time because um, <laughs> you never know what type of officer that you're going to get. Myself personally, um, 
I have seen some things happen to other people. I've been in those spaces, uh, different environments where I saw uh, a lot of unfairness, a lot of brutality. Um, however, personally, I have never really had that much interaction with police officers, except for when I was much younger and there was such a thing called community policing. We knew who they were, they knew everybody and your family, and they didn't come across like, you know, every time you see them, they're gonna beat you, they're gonna do this or that to you. They actually at least acted like they cared. I mean, in, so, in my neighborhood, uh, I walk down the street now and, and we do have a Black Lives Matter sign in our front yard. And, you know, police officers kind of look at me funny. They were interviewing a guy uh, next next to my house, next door to my house. And, and he like, he kind of checked himself for a second when I was just walking by. I mean, it doesn't seem like communi community uh, pol police, like what, they, maybe that's a good first step uh, to, to kind of come back to some kind of normalcy because everything being so hyper uh, aggro uh, is, is clearly, clearly not the answer. Clearly not, clearly not. And if the, you know, <laughs> just to wrap it up, if the Fraternal Order of Police really cared about the lives of police officers, what would they do? They would work their asses off to get guns off the street. They would try to reduce the obscene volume of firearms flooding our country. You know, uh, when when studies are done cross cross country, comparing the United States to uh, other other similar countries, uh, and and they factor out all the other variables, they they work out you know things that that aren't uh, at play. What they arrive at is the reason that the United States has so much gun violence is the sheer volume of guns. It makes it available to everybody. So, if if cops really wanted to stop gun violence, they would start looking at the sheer volume of guns, you know, and until they do that, uh, you know, protestations about the safety of police officers are just hollow, you know, not truth. Yeah, and here in Jefferson County, you've got uh, something I, I didn't think would really become any kind of a trend here, but this is the second time that we've heard about uh, gunshots going towards officers uh, after the Brianna Taylor verdict, there were uh, two officers that were shot. Um, one of them was wounded, both of them were wounded. And uh, one of them, uh, you know, was able to come out of it rather quickly. And he was a trainer uh, for the LMPD that is also being investigated by the Department of Justice, as well as Metro government here in Louisville. And uh, he had said some very disparaging things uh, that they considered racist tropes, and he was relieved of his duties. Uh, so it, it's just a lot going on when you're talking about no-knock warrants that just goes on and on. It's like a domino effect. And I know you guys are like, she's showing her hands tonight. Yeah, I just want to show everybody my ring. Yes. Yes. You know, this just makes me believe that, you know, in some situations, let me just do my mind like a butterfly and just fly away, just leave it alone because it is so much heartache in this country right now that it can get you depressed, it can get you down. And um, I'm just saying that as far as police are concerned, I do respect 
Um, you know, most officers I have always respected. There are those that take that oath to do the job. And then there are some that it's their lineage, uh, Nate. It's their, it's in their DNA. It's, it's, it's in their genealogy because, you know, maybe great, 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 great granddaddy was part of the slave patrol. And then it just goes on. You've got a lot of white supremacists and police positions all around this country. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we could say about that. But once again, that's another show. So um, back to you, Nate. All right. Well, I think we are... As much as we've enjoyed one another's time this hour plus, uh, it is time to wrap things up. So let's tell you about next week on Kernels of Truth. We're going to be joined by Doug Price, bringing us his regular feature. Doug Price is right. Now, uh, you should know that Progress Kentucky is a nonprofit organization registered with the Kentucky Secretary of State, organized as a 501c4 and is affiliated with the Indivisible Project and the Commonwealth Alliance Voter Engagement, that's CAVE. Uh, Progress Kentucky's goal is to educate, organize, increase voter turnout, and advance a progressive agenda through civic engagement. More information can be found at www.progresskentucky.org. Uh, find out how to volunteer and support our ongoing efforts. And I'd be remiss if I did not let you know that production services and media content are provided by Couch Fire Media. Couch Fire Media ignites multi-camera, live stream, fiction narrative, non-fiction educational, informative animation, and commercial video production content. More information about Couch Fire Media can be found at www.couchfiremedia.com. And... Do I can tell you about the Jones week. report. Yes, do not let another week go by without tuning in to my friend. We're 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 bi-weekly now. We're bi-weekly now. Mm -hmm. Do not let okay. Rewind, rewind, rewind. Do not let two <laughs> weeks go by. <laughs> so does that mean that you, you go both ways on the weeks? No, sorry. Bad do job. I go both ways on the weeks? You can't do that. Uh, I'm just one way, but no, uh, <laughs> honestly, um, for the weeks that you don't have the Jones report, you will have on the alternate week, uh, one of the co-hosts, Betsy Foster, and oh, she nice. does something called Betsy Foster's Local Edition. And so uh, those will be on the alternating weeks until we start back up in the fall. Well, that's great, but but the same place, right? You can find both at the same the same. Yes. Okay. All right. So listen, folks, to, just to back up and, and you know, no more of these in jokes here. The Jones Report is a weekly, bi-weekly. I almost got it right. Live national local news talk and conversation show that occurs when every Tuesday at seven p.m. Eastern Standard, hosted by Mike Breuer, Betsy Foster, and Kimberly Cecil Jones. The Jones Report Radio Program can be found where? On Facebook at The Jones Report Radio. Just The Jones Report Radio. And I have a feeling if you just type in Jones Report Radio in the search box, you'll find it lickety split. Uh, of course, the, the music came from... Can I, can, I, can I make this feel like we're less awkward for you? Oh, what do you mean? Uh, well, I just wanted to tell you about uh, the music from Couch Fire Media... Or from Couch... Let me start that again. I just want to tell you, you know, about the music on Progress Kentucky. It comes from the fantastic, <laughs> fabulous, 
fun-loving and extraordinarily awesome musician uh, Nato uh, with music perform more music performances can be found on Facebook. Oh, this is old. We can't do this. No, no. Okay. Why don't, why don't we'll tell, okay. More, NATO songs more music right? and information can be found at natosongs.com come yay right can i do the station do? id because we're now Absolutely. on the radio woo, woo, woo. Woo, woo, woo. please do this is wlxu 93.9 lp fm radio lex lexington the voice of the people the views expressed on progress kentucky's kernels of truth and our guests are not necessarily the views of radio lex or its board of directors the views expressed on progress kentucky's kernel of truth are our own everybody thank thank you for spending your evening with us i know it was a little long tonight but we are on the radio in lexington because we are doing big things big 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 things and you know nate you are a great host tonight i mean like mm, between oh, you and aaron uh, i don't mm, mm. i'm just gonna shut my mouth and always also the best producer this side of the Mississippi is always Ken Al. And until next week, you'll see us here on Wednesday at 7 p.m., hopefully on the dot. Do something nice for somebody this week, okay? With a smile, buy somebody some lunch. You know, just do something nice for somebody this week. You'll be surprised how to make you feel right here in your heart, all right? And we'll see you here at St. Bat Channel. Same time next week. Have a good week.